February 2nd, top of the hour. February's going by like this, Dan. It's amazing. My earpiece just fell out. This market call brought to you by SoFi. Dan, get your money right all in one app. And, of course, our data partner, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Uh, we dig everyone. Elizabeth Young will be joining us in just a few minutes. Um, man, oh, Manischewitz. It's all happening right in front of our very eyes, Dan Nathan, here at 1 p.m. You know, I I really need to get my money right all in one app. This has actually been a, a really painful couple of days. And listen, for some of you uh, market call viewers, some of our on the tape listeners, some of our fast money fans, I'll just tell you, um, you know, I obviously have been fairly convicted in my view that we'd give back some of this uh, January silliness. So this is probably two of the worst trading days, guy, I've had, I want to tell you, in many, many years. So just to be this wrong, this quickly, uh, so in your face, um, it's really hard. So I'll just kind of say that, get that um, out of the way. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know what else but to say about trading, that. Listen, I mean, there's nothing else to say. Part of trading is being wrong. You're going to be wrong. What I find fascinating is, you know, people will say at best you're 50, 50, not just to us, just in general, they'll make comments, not realizing that in, in our world, if you're 50-50, you're, you're friggin' Ty Cobb. I mean, you're Ted Williams all wrapped into one. I mean, most people, uh, if you have the right discipline, you can. and Mark Fisher, who's legendary in our world, he'd come and talk to groups and say, listen, he's right 25 30% of the time, but he's able to make money because there's some disciplines put in there. So it's not an easy game at all. And it's interesting, the first comment I see, how long can you three be wrong before you throw in the towel? Well, I'm going to say me and Dan, because I don't know who the other one is, but I'll say this. Now, in June, we got it pretty dead right in terms of the bounce. In October, pretty good. And up until the last couple of weeks, we were looking like heroes on that breakdown. Now the S&P is through that downtrend line, and we'll show you. It's got me confused. I'm sure it's got a lot of people confused. And, yeah, we're wrong. I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be right all the time in this business. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, you, you say it all the time, the idea of being like dogmatic. I, I tend to be a bit more dogmatic. Listen, you know, I've said this over and over again on CNBC, and this is not our apology tour here whatsoever, because I think if you were listening to us and we've been doing these shows, and we've been doing these podcasts for 2021, we're kind of laying out what could go wrong in 2022. And, and I still feel the things that went wrong in 2022, we're not done exercising those demons. I mean, we're just not. And so a 20% rally in the S&P 500, makes everyone feel like geniuses who kind of never gave up their kind of long bias or their kind of rose color sort of, um, you know, view about the economy. I'm just, guy, I just, I, I listen to the same press conference that, that everyone else listened to who ripped this market. And it didn't make me feel a whole heck of a lot better about going out there and doing, you know, what, what's gone on in the last, I don't know if you want to call it 24 hours, but, you know, let's throw up that S&P chart right now. Here we are, you know, we're up 20% from those October lows, okay? Mm -hmm. And let me tell you something. On the October lows, you and I were not bearish, okay? And I was long plenty of stocks that are ripping today. But at a certain point, I just felt that it wasn't commensurate, right, with what I thought their outlook or their opportunity set were headed into the new year. And I have been short for January. I've been short individual names. I've been short the indices. I usually do that through defined risk on market call. I've detailed many of these trades using options and doing that. But, you know, here we are, S&P. What, we're almost 4,200, guy? Does it make you want to go buy the S&P 500? What's that, uh, the August highs there? I mean, 
Obviously, you know, 43, I think 4280, and, and we've pointed that out a number of times. And, you know, my point is, yeah, in October, I think we made a really prescient call. We said you're going to see a 16 to 18% rally, probably up to 4,100. That happened in early December. And then that sell off that we saw into the end of last year, I really felt like it was an accelerate. That was wrong. I mean, this last move, this move from 3,800 to effectively 4,200 ish has absolutely caught me off guard. And I can only speak for myself. You know, that part has been wrong. And now here we are. So you got to try to figure out what to do from here. I think a lot of people will say, well, we're going to try and test those August highs. Um, by the way, it was back in June that we thought we could rally to 4,200. If you recall, we overshot that a little bit, but that exhausted itself as well. And we'll see what happens. We have a ton of things in the post market today, obviously in the form of earnings. And we still have some inflation data coming out. It all could come up roses. And you know what? The worst might be behind us. But I'll say again, at current levels, with an earnings coming down, more and more companies guiding lower, uh, I will tell you that this market went from being reasonable, trading at historic valuations at around 17, to once again being expensive. And if the E comes down in the earnings part, it's not only expensive, it's probably levels we haven't seen in a few years. And just by the way, before we go to some other stuff, the fi financial conditions out there are as loose as they've been in quite a long time. So connect those dots yeah. and see where we go from there. Yeah. Okay. And looking at the NDX, you know, we were looking at the NASDAQ futures yesterday, the NDX E-minis there. And I said, you'd put a 35 point stop on that thing to the upside in front of an event like that. So you get stopped out. You know, we were looking for a play back towards, I don't know, down 200 points or something like that. So to me, that risk reward looked okay. You're stopped out, you move on. Um, I'm not chasing them here. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this on market call with Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. What would a convincing breakout be? And, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a straight up move like we've had of 5% um, over a short period of time, guys, you probably need to see some consolidation above that downtrend, above that important moving average. And again, you know, with all the earnings that we have after the close today, that might be really important. We're also going to take a look at that jobs report um, that comes out. Guy, real quickly on uh, yields, um, and we don't have to go through the 210 and this and that or whatever, but, you know, that 10-year is sitting right on that. 200 day and i think that's the thing that people feel like that if it's reflective of expected growth if we're going to have that earnings recession that the stock market right now is not pricing in maybe that's what the 10-year is telling us and the lower that goes is maybe the greater likelihood that we see the fed start pricing in or we see fed fund futures start pricing in greater fed fund cuts towards the end of this year talk to me a little bit about that because lower yields Lower dollar, we've been talking about this, lower commodity prices, lower inflation readings across the board, good for stocks, right? Yeah, you, one would think. Uh, but lower yields in this case is because the economy is slowing down because you have slowing growth. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. So, I under again, I get it. I understand why people are getting lubed up on the back of lower yields. I mean, you know, party time again, everything's fine. The Fed's your friend. I understand it. The problem, of course, is yields are not going lower because things are so great. Yields are going lower because actually things are not so great. And you said not to mention two tens. I will for a second. You know, I will tell you as, as 10 year continues to sort of accelerate to the downside, I think that two years is going to stay sticky north of 4%, closer to probably 4.2%. And that's not particularly bullish in my opinion, Dan. 
All right, let me just hit a couple things here because people ask me these questions. So what do you do? You know, I had a couple of people tweeting at me saying you've been so dead wrong. You've been shorting the QQQ from day one of this year. I haven't been shorting the QQQ. I've taken some tactical sort of short trades and I detailed one. I think the, the QQQ was like 287. I, I was buying the February 285, 260 put spread. I paid $5 for that. So I was risking five to possibly make 20 if we went back towards those October lows. That's obviously been eviscerated. But I got to tell you, if I paid $5 for an ETF, that was trading at 287. Do the math on what percentage that is. Okay. So I've not been short the NDX or the QQQ that is now up 17% on the year. On the year, guy. On the year, I mm-hmm. risked 2%. Okay. That's how you trade people. I'm just telling you, I've been dead wrong. What, what, what we learned this long time ago red is wrong, R O N G, right? That, that could be the title of this thing. But that's how you try to be contrarian. That's how you try to pick spots of this thing. I also did the same in the Jets. I've done it in a bunch of other things. I will tell you this. You've been pounding the table on the GLD, the gold, right? Look where that thing has gone. Um, talk to me. What do you do with this thing right now, GLD here? Because you've been Let's right put up on gold that. real quick. I mean, you know, I know Doug Cass, I think he's probably tweeting you as we speak. And, and he looks at what's going on here and he sees all the makings of potentially a bit of a blow off top. And a lot of the things we've talked about for the first eight minutes would suggest that. But let's put gold up and here it is. You know, it's obviously reversed a bit today, but the trajectory has been extraordinarily strong basically since early November. And I, my, I'm inclined to say you stay with it. Um, but I'll tell you something, you know, gold reversing lower today, in some ways it's saying, you know what, what you heard yesterday from the Fed wasn't as dovish as you think. So there's so many fricking cross currents going on. It's really hard to figure it out. But you do have a bit of a reversal today. I'm sure it's going to have people um, a little bit concerned because they've been burned so many times being long gold. And quite frankly, maybe we're on the on the verge of that happening again. I just don't think so. Central banks have been buying gold in levels we haven't seen in decades. That will continue. What I've said for a while is at a certain point, it will start to manifest itself into price. And we've been seeing that. So keep, keep a keen eye on today's action because it's not particularly good. But I'm not ready to throw in a towel just yet. Yeah, well, I'm at the point with my very poor risk management skills over the last kind of month, month and a half or so, where I'm I'm about ready to go all in here. I'm just going to tell you that. So, like talking about sticking to dogma, and you are much better at this than me. Um, I fortunately don't manage money for other people. I'm not your hedge fund manager. I'm not your broker. I'm not your RIA. Um, I can make some irrational decisions sometimes, and and I'm probably near. Uh, you got me in a sort of vendetta kind of mood. And anyone put that in the chat if you know where that's coming from. All right. Let's bring in – what do you call her? What's, what's her what, 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 what do you well, call I her? call her EY from SoFi. She's been traveling a lot. I mean, she's been all over the place. She was in Wisconsin yeah. recently, which I t- totally dig, by the way. Uh, hello, yeah. Elizabeth. Hi, guys. Elizabeth Young. That's EY from SoFi. She's the head strategist over there at SoFi. Liz, welcome to Market Thank Call. You. How are you? Thank you. Uh, I'm good. I'm pretty sure I'm the third that no, the you're not. Was, was referencing. No, that's okay. I, I'll take it. I will own being the third. And I'll tell you what, last night, I, I worked until 9 p.m. last night, and I sent messages to some of my most trusted mentors and said, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, wait, guy, guy, did, you and, get, did you get a message no. from Liz? Well, I didn't okay, get a message I, I know. But I, I knew I just talked to you. I knew that was coming. I walked right into that one. 
Um, but I'm here today. I like, I forgot to put makeup on today. The stress levels are real. And I will tell you that the stress level of watching the market rip like this, watching an absolute face ripping rally in beta and in growth at a time when you look at the indicators and everything that we know and all of the experience that we've had and just the, even the numbers, just the numbers, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem sustainable. So here, I'll tell you what I got wrong uh, so far, probably, probably more to come, but what I got wrong so far is I thought that a recession would be more obvious by the end of January. I thought that we would have data and we do have leading indicator data that's shown this. And obviously I'm looking at all the macro stuff. And then I look at things like the bond market to tell me whether or not the macro stuff is consistent with the bond market. And frankly, the macro indicators, aside from labor, the macro indicators and the treasury yield curve inversions are consistent, right? So they're sending off all these signals. What's now happening, I think, is because there's so much more bubble wrap around the labor market and profit margins, that it's just going to drag on and on and on. So what I have to do at this point, what I had to do last night is sit back and ask myself, what would I need to see to convince me that it actually will be a soft landing, right? First of all, the job market would never would have to never break. And mm -hmm. I think that the real tell on that is probably by the end of February or the February data because of how long the legs usually take. If it hasn't broken sometime in March, when we get the February data, we're getting initial, all that stuff, I will question this recession thesis. If earnings do not go into an earnings recession, I will question this recession thesis. But we're not there yet. And a lot of this movement in the market, look, yes, absolutely have missed it. A lot of it feels so momentum-y that now, what do you do? You jump on the train after it's already almost at its destination, right? You, it feels like it would be too risky to do something like that. And there are still some weird behaviors happening under the surface. Things like, look at what happened all the way through January. You've got days where the market's down and the VIX is down. The market's up and the VIX is up. That stuff doesn't usually make sense. One of them is right and one of them is wrong. So I think some of this will start to look a little bit more traditional what I said a few weeks ago was what I expect in 2023 market-wise, if we have that drawdown that all three of us had been expecting, if we have it, the cyclicals get hit harder because we already saw growth get hit. And now it's not about rates anymore. It's not about growth trajectory. It's about a recession. But what's happening in the last few weeks, it looks like fear has completely left the building. And I just don't think that you can be this unafraid. I think there's a lot still to come. Yeah, I agree with that. There's clearly some things out there you still have to be concerned about the market seemingly pricing none of it in. And some of these couple people have mentioned, and I don't want to make a big deal out of this yet, but the VIX actually is going to change to slightly green today, which we'll see how that plays itself out. I could probably explain that one. But you know, one thing that I was really surprised by yesterday, EY, was Jerome Powell's answer to a question about financial conditions. I mean, these the honest answer is financial conditions, however you measure them, are as loose as they've been in quite some time, which really flies in the face of all conventional wisdom, if you think about it. So you have to wrap your head around that, one. And number two, as I mentioned uh, earlier, market is expensive. I mean, market is back to close to 20 times, depending, again, 
what that forward E is. I mean, market's gotten itself really expensive really quickly as well. Just quick thoughts on those two things. Yeah, I, I wrote about his response to financial conditions in my blog today. Well, we dropped it last night. Um, it, it was I said it was flippant at best. And there's there's two things about that. So he he all but dismissed it, right? He knows that financial conditions have loosened over the last month. He sort of defended himself by saying, yeah, but they've tightened quite a bit over the last year. Well, yes, they've tightened over the last year. We've raised rates 450 basis points. Of course they've tightened, right? I think the message that we have to take from that, and this is one of those things that this is where you question some of the momentum rally, right? He was flippant about financial conditions loosening, which tells me he's also going to be flippant about them tightening. It goes both ways. So if they tighten and the market goes down, he is not there to save it. He's still focusing on other things. So, and I, I put a chart of financial conditions in my blog today to show just the movement over time and the compression that we've seen over the last 30 to 45 days. I don't think we can use those as an indicator of what they're going to do. The problem is we are conditioned as investors for the last five years to believe, number one, that rates are supposed to be low, if not negative, and that the Fed is always going to save us. And they're just not going to this time. And to your point on valuations, nearing, you know, nearing the five-year average PE, basically, on the S&P 500, but that trailing five years, half of it was spent at zero rates. Mm -hmm. Four of the five, four of the five were spent with an active Fed put in play. This is a completely different environment. I just don't think these multiples are sustainable. But the crazy part about it is, you know, that old Warren Buffett quote, and I'm sure I'm sure this is just going to tweak you guy, but the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, right? So we're I think we're in an irrational place right now, but that doesn't mean it's going to end tomorrow. And this is a time yeah. when you got to try your patience. Yeah, well, I'll just say this, <clears throat> you know, Guy, you've made this joke on many occasions that the Fed's dual mandate is to keep the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 bid, okay? And, and you used to say that, you know, in 2021, when they were just kind of on the inflation is transitory and they kept rates and they kept monetary policy too easy for too long and we had a rip-roaring market. And if you think, and I, I just like, listen, I'm disgusted here, okay? Because, you know, Guy, you're the one who's got a bone to pick with the Fed and you're the one who actually gave them kudos throughout last year doing what you thought they had been, should be doing long before, right? It, it's kind of having a tighter monetary stance and, and kind of, you know, being a lot more hawkish. But for him to let this asset bubble reignite, okay, no matter what they are seeing, and they are as clueless as most other people about forecasting the economy and, and that sort of for that. For them to let this happen right now, and I'm not screaming because I'm short and I'm getting killed a little bit, but the higher we go is the harder we fall. I'm actually more convicted that we will test the October lows in the S&P because of what's going on. I am looking at Peloton up 115% on the year. Today, I am looking at Carvana up 28%. I'm looking at Coinbase up 24%. That's today, people, okay? And I could go on and on. The meta thing up 26%, Snapchat up 10%. I mean, the list goes on and on and on here, man. And I'm just telling you, if they are sucking everybody back in, right, and not doing the sort of things that they should be doing when they're investing in risk assets, it's just going to, I mean, like, like, does it, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss, guy. I mean, I, I, am, I was 
I think he, well, I don't know what he tried to do yesterday, but you know, in his head, I think he, he tried to remain uh, somewhat hawkish. I think some, I think what really got people jazzed up was the, the term disinflationary or disinflation was used 13 times. So I think people took not people. I shouldn't even say that. I think the algorithms and the market forces took its cues from that word. And, to Liz's point, yes, you tweaked me with that. The market can stay irrational longer than you. I mean, there's certain things you know. I just want to effing scream. But, but guys, truth to it as well. I gotta hear without naming names. You know, your mentors, other than Guy and me, who were just, I guess, your dumbass peers. Um, we're we're not your mentors. I mean, listen, I'm gonna say this, and this might sound pretty nasty, but some of the dumbest people I know in the markets are doing victory laps about what's going on right now. And some of the smartest people I know think this is batshit crazy. Okay. I'm just telling you that. Okay. And, yeah, and a well, lot of people who follow me on the Twitter and watch me on fast money and listen to our podcast. They think I'm dumb. Okay. And I'm going to tell you that I'm not. Okay. But go well, ahead. And here, the other thing is like, but the, you know what, this is actually a really good lesson for all of our listeners. We've been doing this. You know, I've been doing it shorter than both of you, but I wasn't born yesterday we're still not immune to the emotion of it, right? Mm -hmm. So when I talked to my, there were two people I talked to last night and I, I'm not going to name their names, but yeah. well-respected. So, you know, one of them has a job very, very similar to mine, has been doing it for more than a decade longer than me. Both of them said to me, Liz, you know that this is positioning. You know that this is sentiment. Go back to basics. You know that the data is still the data, right? Don't get sucked into questioning yourself. And then somebody finished it with uh, stop reading Twitter, right? Basically, yeah. stay away from the trolls. Yeah. And some of that is true, for sure. And again, we're not immune to the, the emotion of it, the hating being wrong. I mean, yeah, people do say you want to be right 51% of the time in a job like this. No, I want to be right 100% of the time. Of that's never going to happen. But that's what we try to do. So I never would come out here and, and just try to be right 51% of the time. I'm aiming for 100. I'm aiming for an A++, right? So it's really frustrating when you take everything that you know, put it in the machine of your brain, it spits out an answer, and you're like, I, it, the market says else. else and before, and before we get to you quickly, I'm going to say this. There's a fine line that we all walk, and it's really difficult between dogma and being, you know, and, and just sort of trying to then adjust to what's going on. And I don't think I'll say it. I don't think we're being dogmatic in our views. I think mm -hmm. our views are based on the facts that we have out there and the numbers and the inputs that we use at a certain point. Maybe we have to reevaluate. I just don't think we're there yet, Dan. Okay. And I just want to say one thing, okay, <clears throat> because you have actually had a really good call. And here's a stock, and, and, and I'm just going to come back. I'm going to go to NVIDIA, okay? So NVIDIA is a company that has a half a trillion dollar market cap, okay? It's a semiconductor company, which they do amazing things. They're exposed to some amazing, you know, like, like, like tailwinds as it relates to every single buzzword in tech that you think is going to dominate over the next 25 years. Okay. This company, this stock trades at 20 times sales. Okay. Think about every other semiconductor company on the planet. 20 times would be expensive on a price to earnings basis. 20 times sales, the stock is up 100% off the lows. Now, maybe that's not so important because you say, well, it was down 70%. It was trading at 40 times sales at its highs in 2021, which made no absolute sense. 
you cannot tell me that 66 times earnings and 20 times sales and 50 times earnings on a Ford basis and 18 times sales for a half a trillion dollar market cap company for a company that's exposed. Maybe, maybe they grow sales 10% over the next time. It makes no sense. Yeah. The world's upside down. And that's a bet. That's one of the best companies on the face of planet earth that I'm talking about. Can you imagine the hundreds of crap stocks that are trading at like much dumber levels? Yeah, and by the way, just to mention NVIDIA, in early November, like first week or so, we actually talked about a potential for a long position to get one of these knee-jerk rallies, which happened. The sell-off that we saw in early December, I think confused, confused me, but this subsequent rally, to your point, you know, again, if you didn't know what it was and all those things and just started spitting out the numbers that you did and then giving you the, you know, the performance it's had, since the beginning of the year-ish, you'd be like, you got to sell this stock. I think they report, Dan, you probably have in front of you the 22nd or something of February, so you got a yeah. couple of weeks. But this right before our very eyes has gotten really expensive really fast, not unlike the broader market. One of the other things, and, and I don't know if you guys want to answer to this too, but I will say in my personal portfolio, so regardless of the emotion that's gone into this and feeling wrong, still I've stuck with my stance basically on what I've done in my personal portfolio. I can't name names, but last week I unloaded two cyclicals and one staple because I thought it was overpriced. And in the last 24 hours, I unloaded some growth because if you know what, if the market's going to give me this gift, I'll take it. And if I still think that there's a downdraft coming, what do I think is going to get hit the hardest? Well, that's what I want to lessen my exposure in. So that's what I did. So even what I'm doing with my own money, I'm still saying, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe the rip. I don't believe it's lasting. I still believe it has to get more rational. So I'm going to protect myself, but I'll take this little gift from the market if it's going to give it to me. EY, you know I dig you. We're going to bring in another voice if that's cool. I don't know if is Elizabeth sticking around or you want a 5,000? No, EY, we're going to go to another. Hey, hey, Liz, let's get a little makeup on before I see you later tonight. You and I are going to have <laughs> We're going to have a couple. We're going to have a couple. 24 hours, Dan. We're lucky I showered. Okay. on me tonight. Thanks so much. You're going to have the brown water, too. I mean, I guess, listen, so in the course of 26 minutes, I am neither your mentor nor your dinner party. All right. So that's, listen. You guys are both my mentors. You know that, but I knew I was going to talk to you today. I knew it would be more, and I really mean this. It would be more genuine if we had this conversation live in front of everybody. So True. that's why I waited. I didn't want to Fired tell you up. that I was going to come yeah. on here today and say that I felt wrong. I wanted it to be a surprise. Well, right, we're going enough. from EY from SoFi. We're going to another Elizabeth because why not? It's Thursday after all. Dan, we're going to bring in Elizabeth Kastner. She's the vice president, director of exchange traded fund research and analytics at FactSet. She develops tools and methodologies for all aspects of ETF and mutual fund classification and analysis with a fo focus on costs, which is important, risk, trading issues, and performance. Uh, EK, how are you? I am so well, and I'm really excited for No Makeup Thursday. <laughs> ah, there you go. All right, Elizabeth, we've had a couple really great conversations with you over the co course of the last year on Market Call. And, you know, it's really interesting. I think you can tell how fired up we are. Um, and, and, and a lot of this is just there's some single stock stuff that is just kind of like melting my brain a little bit here. But I am actually also um, a huge proponent 
of ETFs. I trade them. I trade options on them. Um, I like the fact that I don't have the idiosyncratic risk of a single name, right, doing something or another. Let's talk a little bit about this piece that you have out here, because um, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, you are, as Guy just said, you're very focused on the cost of ETFs, because if you are, you know, an, an active manager, I mean, the cost of transactions is really important and, and, the, and the like here. Talk to us about some of the themes in 2022. Um, your, your headline is ETF investors won in 2022 by losing and spending less. Talk to us a little bit about that and what that means for investors who are trading or investing in these products. What a great question. Thanks so much for queuing that up. You know, yeah. um, I, I, I guess it's honesty day, right? And I will be honest to say that it took me a good long time to really wrap my head around a story of how to make sense of investor behavior in 2022, because in the ETF world, there was a lot that happened that kind of broke the mold and some things that looked initially to be like really opposite trends that when you took a deeper look, they really did have a theme. Um, and I decided to really make it a sort of a, a personal storyline. And I invented a character named Prudence, an old Puritan name, like nobody names a kid Prudence now. But the idea of somebody who's prudent is somebody who is wise with the use of resources and very patient. Um, and I feel like that's what we saw in 2022. So starting with Prudence took the long view, right? Markets were down and down and down and down. But we saw $604 billion net flow into U.S. ETFs. You know, it would have obviously been better protected staying in cash, but you never know what's happening in the markets. And so what we really saw is that uh Investors took a strategic long-term point of view, and as stocks and bonds went on sale, they kept buying. So, you know, that was really the first thing that I saw that I thought was really extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if anybody really looked, but um, 2022 was the second highest year ever for U.S. ETF flows. So, you know, given what we saw in the markets, that was really pretty impressive. Um, but it wasn't really in the, the theme that we've been so used to of the big core portfolio building blocks, the big, broad, cap-weighted, simple funds that, you know, the set them and forget them. We didn't really see that as much. What we saw, I think, at first looked really different in equity and fixed income, but there was a lot of similarity there too. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk. I mean, it, it's interesting because some of the data that you have in that report and, and I, um, I I'd love for our, our listeners, our viewers to go um, check it out. I mean, you just mentioned that some of these large strategies saw big inflows by the end of the year, despite the fact that let's just talk about one like and, and you know, listen, I think what's really important about this product is that like Guy and I come on Market Call, we talk about individual names, right? And we go on Fast Money and we talk about individual names. But I have been saying this for all of 2022 is that averaging in to an ETF like the QQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, right? Where five or six stocks make up 40% of the weight, right? Some of the biggest names is kind of the way to take a longer term view if you are also in the business of looking at individual names. And I had a friend of ours who watches, without naming names, who watches Market Call and listens to our On The Tape podcast. And my advice to him is, 
in the account that he does longer term stuff and happen to be a retirement account, average into the QQQ. If these are the companies that you believe in are going to be around for the long term. And he hit me today and he's like, listen, my average is 274 from averaging last year, dollar cost averaging into this low cost product that's now trading at 312. That's the way to invest. Now, trading individual stocks is another thing. Talk to me about the notion of inflows on a down year like we saw last year, but they end up having net inflows, right? And you have some data on that, I think, also. Yeah, we have a lot of data on that. Um, and, you know, I, I think to your point in terms of taking the long view and figuring out what your views are and how to express them. We really saw a lot of that in ETF land. So, you know, the the sort of classic vanilla broad-based market cap uh, strategies, they generally make up about, um, on the equity side, 64% of the overall US ETF market. But this past year, they only captured 39% of the flows. So 61% went to sort of anything but vanilla, so flipped on its head proportionally. Mm -hmm. um, but it was not indiscriminate. So um, a strategy like the QQQs that was really hot back in 2020 and 2021, you know, didn't really take in the kind of flows that we had seen. But uh, instead, what was really in favor was uh, strategic beta and also active management. So a strategic beta would be funds that use academically researched uh, factors or analytical practices to build their portfolio and active management where you have an old fashioned stock picker who's out there saying yes or no. And really it was of these, the most defensive that took in the greatest dollar amount. So, you know, while, while oh, prudence sorry, go was that, go ahead. No, you continue. I have a question when you're done. Okie dokie. Yeah, I was just going to wrap up and say, you know, while, while prudence was, you know, taking the long view, Prudence wasn't, you know, stepping on the gas or going into the queues. Prudence was more likely to go into uh, an equity fund that lost less than other equity funds. Well, Prudence also has this wacky twin sister or distant cousin, and she comes in the form of these inverse ETFs and these levered ETFs, which is sort of like the next iterations over the last few years. Can you speak to that and what you're seeing there? Uh, yeah, in 2022, Prudence's evil cousin was long and wrong. Um, and uh, interestingly, is short and wrong in 2023. So levered and inverse products, I'm sure your viewers all know, you know, are very tricky, hard to understand products because they offer the single day return at a multiple of whatever their underlying index is. But over a long haul, it's never... 2x or 3x times what you think because there's path dependency thing. And so you can wind up losing more than 3x what you thought or you know more than 2x or whatever. And that's exactly what we saw in TQQQ and, and SOXL, which were two geared ETFs that offered 3x exposure to the queues and 3x exposure to the semiconductors. 2022 investors piled into those and stayed into them. So it wasn't used as intended as a one-day trade, but it was really sort of held over the long haul. And you know, those are ETFs that lost nearly their entire value over the course of the year. Now that it's 2023, I look back on January flows, what was the 
biggest of the geared funds. I think it even was in the top 10 for um, overall in January, SQQQ, which is short the Qs. So, uh, you know, you have to get so much right to yeah. use the geared products and it can be really expensive when you get it wrong. So I'm just, I'm hoping that Prudence's cousin was using play money. Yeah, well, it's funny. <clears throat> Every once in a while, this dumb guy will actually trade options on those on a very short-term basis. And when you talk about what you just said, Elizabeth, having to get a lot right in a short period of time, leverage on leverage and being in a binary situation is not a great way to trade. Um, listen, thank you so much. That was a great data dump. We encourage all of our viewers to go check out Elizabeth's work. Um, she is the VP Director of Exchange Traded Funds Research and Analytics at FactSet. She's been on the market call with us before. She will be back. And we really appreciate your time. So thanks a lot, Elizabeth. Thanks so much, Dan and Guy. And if I if I can, I'll plug my new blog just popped uh, a couple it. of hours ago. Little um, overview for asset managers who are considering entering the ETF industry and just an analysis of what a tough and competitive competitive environment it is be well yeah all right thanks so much elizabeth talk about um a, a timely piece because yeah. man oh man as we've now talked for the last 36 minutes it's a this is a difficult environment you should check out elizabeth's work it's extraordinarily thoughtful uh we have one minute couple of minutes we got to do what yeah. dan i mean what do we do on well, thursday this is, this is i mean listen today was a, a jam-packed show we had a lot of fun here but but you're about to have the most fun that you have all week doing market call because it's time for what? I just say, I, it's just yeah. butters. Butter. I mean, just, just butter. there. I just paused and it's yeah. like, what else can you, what else do you have to say? It's butters. It's, it's butters. Let's bring his butters. work up because again, all right. timely stuff here, very timely stuff. All right, you guys know the man, the myth, the legend, John Butters. He's a senior earnings insight analyst over there at our fine partner of Fact Set. here. He drops a blog every Friday morning, and he's just got a lot of data. I specifically, Guy, love the earnings insight blog in and around earnings season that we are in right now because there's just a lot of really good nuggets. And, and again, you use the term input as far as you know creating a thesis, whether it be on a market thesis or an individual name. And uh, I think this stuff is really good. We're about 40% through S&P 500 earnings. Tonight is going to change that guy. When you think about some of the big names that we have, revenue growth for Q4 is about 4.2%. That's below the five-year average of 7.8%. Now, again, <clears throat> why are we rallying out of earnings? And I want to make this point. It's really important because we saw it in March of April last year. We saw it in June into August of last year, and we saw it in October into December of last year. Mm -hmm. We had big rallies that came out of earnings season. They also coincided with Fed meetings. Does it sound familiar, people? That's what's happening right now, okay? And you could say well, what's different this time is that we are towards the end of this rate hike cycle here. But I think it's also important to remember that we are one year Okay, from when we kind of recognize the fact that that was going to happen and Fed funds is now at 4.75% in a month, it's going to be 5%. And we were at much, much lower levels. We we're basically at zero a year ago. Okay, so you think about what's happened with these earnings estimates that John is talking about here in his note is that they have been ratcheted down into each one of these earnings periods over the last year. 
okay? Q1, Q2, Q3, and now Q4. And so we are at 4.2%. That's below the five-year. Fine, man. Like, we get it. So, like, expectations been lower. We beat lower at expectations. Talk to me a little bit about the expectations game that John Butter's well, talking you about know, here. I mean, again, it's revenue. And the market, the pillars of the market, all the noise notwithstanding, emotion, animal spirits, all those terms, they're four pillars of the market as far as I can tell. It's earnings, earnings growth, revenue, and revenue growth. It's just that simple. And then you decide what you want to pay for those things vis-a-vis -vis the multiple you, you put on these stocks. That's really what it comes down to. We're seeing we're look at looking at I'm going to read this looking ahead. Analysts are projecting lower revenue growth in the first quarter, negative 2.2% and flat for the second quarter. I mean, what do you pay for that? Now you're going to say, well, we're going to come rocketing out of that. The market's forward looking. We should be paying up. Okay. And that's what the market is saying right now. The reality is right before our very eyes, as I said earlier, the market's getting expensive and John Butter's work suggests exactly that. When you look at this both graph and when you read what he put with those five bullet points, Dan. All right. All right. Thank you, John Butters. We are doing a live. Maybe Jacob uh, will throw that up. <clears throat> a live uh, February 8th. John Butters is going to be on with us. Um, we have three experts from FactSet, 11 a.m. Please register. Jacob's going to put the uh, the link in there. Go to riskreversal.com slash FactSet2023. But, guy, we got to, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the AGA of MAGA reporting tonight. Here we have Apple, we have Google, we have Amazon. Let's just look at the Apple here. Um, the implied move in the options market is only about, I don't know, 3.6, 3.7%. You just said it yourself. There's some things. They're getting really expensive in the stock market, okay? Now, the stock's obviously had a very big short-term run. The stock's trading 24 and a half times this year's expected yeah. earnings. They're expected to grow, guy, low single digits on revenue growth of also low single digits for this year, okay? So under 5%. So the question is, what are you willing to pay for this thing here? Now, again, we know that the dollar weakness has probably been helpful to them, but we also know that the China situation had not been great in Q4. The reverse of zero COVID, good for them. But, I mean, are, do we have some, 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 some kind of issues here? What we've heard about the PC pull forward, it probably relates to the smartphone phone pull forward here. What is your take on Apple at $150 trading 24 times this year, full fiscal year 2023, this year 24 and a half times? It's expensive, without question. Um, it's seeing a meaningful deceleration. Their cash position is probably the lowest it's been in quite some time. So all the positive things, you could actually probably check the box for potentially negative. But I'll say this as well. I mean, this was a stock over the summer. We said Apple's going to 125. And then when it gets there, you take a look and it's worth a trade. Guess what the low was uh, late last year in, the, I think, early December? Basically 125. So as wrong as I am all the time, we've gotten some yeah. things right as well. I will tell you, um, and I said this about Facebook, that proved to be wrong, but I'll say it again here about Apple. I mean, if you've been long this stock for the last month and a half, two months, I think it makes sense to take some profits. Now, tomorrow we won't be doing the show, but you know, tomorrow we come in, it's trading north of 160. People are going to say the same damn thing. You got that one wrong. The right thing, the prudent thing to do, the disciplined thing to do is to take some money off the table into their earnings release because this could be a ridiculous bit of a wild card here, Dan. 
All right, let's look at Google, the alphabet real quickly here. <clears throat> Applied move about 5%, Guy. If you're looking at 2023 estimates for earnings and sales, both expected to be up double digits, okay? 12%, um, this stock is up in sympathy with the meta, and we're going to hit meta really quickly. It's at an interesting level. It finally got above its 200-day moving average. You see that resistance there that was support last summer. And when you think of this stock trading about 20 times, um, versus double-digit expected growth, a lot more reasonable. They've been cutting costs. We know that they cut jobs. We know that the meta move, and we'll talk about that, is really meta-specific, right? The spend that they had on the metaverse, the hiring binge that they had gone on, the way that stock had declined, okay? You see that thing? It's just been parabolic here. Um, you know, I think the meta and the Google are going to be two very different things. Let's talk about this alphabet Google into the print tonight, that technical resistance, yet it does have valuation support versus expected growth, assuming that they don't lower the growth expectations yeah. for this year. Well, I mean, the valuation story has been the story for Google forever. And, you know, the stock basically, if you look since the spring into December, just continued to sort of basically give it up and you know you continued not you p the market continued to try yeah. to make a valuation case for it and the stock just continued to deteriorate now i think it's obviously getting some juice on the back of the broader market what's going on with some of its um aga components as you said or maga components no, I the aga of MAGA. yeah the aga of maga but i'll say this again i mean the the environment that they dominate has only deteriorated. So I'm hard pressed to believe or understand that they could say something that's all that um, encouraging going forward. So like I just said about Facebook last night incorrectly, like I just said about Apple, we'll see what happens. I'll say same thing here. I think the smart thing to do is to take some money off the table and see how it shakes out. Yeah, real quickly on Meta, guy, I did not hear you guys um, on Fast Money about it last night, but it got to that level, that breakdown level from September, right? It was 150. It was up from, man, oh man, 90 bucks. And I got to tell you, I bought that stock after that gap in October and I had a good trade on that thing. It came up like 30% a very short period of time. I took the money. I was playing for a gap fill, but this sort of move is really eye-popping here. And I guess you could have made the valuation argument fairly easily. We knew that they started cutting costs um, as it relates to jobs, but also in and around whatever they were defining as the metaverse spend here, expected earnings and sales growth this year in the mid single digits, next year, maybe double digits here, trading 21 times this year, 18 times next. Is the valuation case harder on Meta to be made? And again, they're no closer to that big Metaverse bet that they were in November 2021. But again, you know, I think probably investors have less confidence in their ability to execute in what is a very difficult, like, it's just a changing environment as it relates to their core business. If you look at some of the year-over-year numbers that I pointed out last night on the show, they've actually gotten worse. Not markedly worse, but they've gotten worse. And people will say, well, it's priced in in the stock. Yeah, maybe, except that if you go back and look, I mean, what has really been priced in the stock at now at these current levels? And this chart, although it's a good chart, it shows the move. It's not an accurate chart. What does that mean? We didn't have that line higher. The stock didn't sort of make that move higher. The stock opened gap higher. So potentially we could have, and I said it last night, I'll say it here, and Carter will speak to it next week, I'm sure, if things come to fruition. But you have the potential for a bit of an island reversal here. You're going to have a stock that's going to trade Probably by the end of the day, I'm just looking at the time, five times or so normal volume. 
this could get really interesting really quick. Now, again, I was the one that said on Fast Money a couple nights ago, given what Snap said, given the run Facebook's had, you got to take money into the print. That was wrong. But again, you just got to get back up in the batter's box and say, okay, let's take a look at it now. How does it look? What's the setup? Again, five times normal volume, potential for a bit of an island reversal. You tell me how it shakes out, and we'll look at it next week, Dan. All right, last thing here before we get out of here, Amazon, the implied move is 8% either direction. That's the biggest of all of these names. Probably the most controversial name, I would say, out of these three, least valuation support. Um, I see a downtrend from the all-time highs in late 2021 that probably puts you not far above where the stock is trading right now, guy. Just it got towards that 200-day uh, moving average. If anything, this stock from like 82 to 113, you know, I would be hard pressed to see as it relates to some of the stuff that we've saw about the consumer. They have this emerging advertising business. They have an emerging spend around content and some other things here. I don't know. I'm not I'm not buying any of these things in the print, to be very frank. Um, this is probably one I like least in the near term. But that low 80s, that $80 level going back to the 2020 low, um, that was the that was the level. I did buy some back there in the fall. I sold it, took profits here. I'm not chasing it here. No, I agree. And we're right at the moving average, obviously. And again, Amazon's one of those companies that, you know, they can decide they're going to ratchet things up on the operating margin front, which will get the stock probably to 125. Or they can say one of those quarters where margins contracted, they could talk about some added costs or some investments and the stock could be trading 95. I have no idea. It's that binary, though. But here, to your point, again, I'll say if you've enjoyed the run, you got to do something. You got to, you can't, you got to trade the stock, Dan. Don't let the stock trade you. All right. That was it. I think we're a little exhausted. I think some of you guys probably think <clears throat> that was kind of like the, um, what's that emoji when you put your hands up in the air, guy, the, the shruggy emoji a I little bit. I'm, 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 I'm shruggy. I'm a little exercised as you uh, happen to be every once in a while here. Um, doesn't feel good. The position we're in, but I, I'm not, I'm not exiting stage left just yet here. So, uh, no, you know. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we're going to be back again. I mean, we're right, wrong. It's the consistent consistency is the key to these things. You don't have to agree with us. And quite frankly, it's good that people don't agree. It's sometimes it's good to agree, but that's, as they say, what makes markets. But that's it for Market Call. I want to thank FactSet, obviously, financial data and analytics part powered by tomorrow. Elizabeth Kashner, she's great. Check out her stuff. It was great to have her on. Obviously, Butters, obviously, EY from SoFi. Thank you, SoFi. Thank you to our audience. I'm going to get out of here now, but if you like it, check it out on the YouTube. Subscribe. All those fun things. Our podcast drops tomorrow. Uh, that'll be fun, but we'll be back on Monday, Dan.